Hello and welcome to Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. I'm Ian Masters, and today we'll look into a number of stories and issues in the news. We'll begin with the investigation into the investigators, led by the DOJ's bar-appointed special counsel John Durham, who, after years of coming up with nothing, has recently arrested a former Russian analyst at the Brookings Institution, Igor Danchenko. Also implicated in the indictment of Danchenko is Charles Dolan, who worked for the Clintons as well as for Putin's inner circle, where he was a Kremlin spin doctor for eight years. Joining us to shed light on the mystery surrounding the infamous Steele dossier is Robert Baer, one of the most accomplished agents in CIA history and the winner of the Career Intelligence Medal. He's the author of four New York Times bestsellers and is considered one of the world's foremost authorities on the Middle East and is an intelligence and national security affairs analyst for CNN. We'll discuss the difference between opposition research and intelligence gathering and the extent to which Republican efforts to obscure Trump's ties to Putin and Russia are likely to get a boost from the latest twists and turns in the tangled tale of how Putin skillfully sows disinformation in the United States while dividing Americans against each other. Then we'll examine the possibility that Republicans are killing Americans for political gain as Trump and the governors of Texas and Florida, along with the right-wing media machine of Fox and Sinclair and others, encourage Americans not to get vaccinated, wear masks or socially distance, thus extending the COVID pandemic indefinitely to hurt Biden and help Trump. Joining us is a co-founder and board member of Physicians for a National Health Program, Dr. Steffi Woolhandler, a practicing primary care physician, distinguished professor of public health and health policy in the City University of New York School of Public Health at Hunter College, as well as a clinical professor at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and lecturer in medicine at Harvard Medical School. Then finally, we'll look into an article in today's New York Times by David Leonard, U.S. COVID deaths get even redder, which shows the COVID death toll between red and blue America growing wider and faster as 40% of Republican adults remain unvaccinated compared to 10% of Democratic adults. Joining us to explain the data in the New York Times article is Charles Gabber, the founder of ACASignups.net, which has been live-tracking Obamacare enrollments since the exchange launched in October of 2013 and is seen as the most reliable source available for up-to-date, accurate ACA enrollment data in the country. And before we go to our first guest, while Background Briefing remains a nationally syndicated radio program with a growing national and international audience, we are relying more and more on our online and podcast audience to sustain us for as little as $5 a month to keep this program alive during the critical years ahead in which the fate of American democracy will be decided. For those of you who can, help us keep delivering a daily briefing so those not in a position to contribute at backgroundbriefing.org slash donate can also join in the fight against disinformation, whether it comes from Mar-a-Lago or Moscow. We must win the political warfare battles underway and fight with weaponized facts to save our democracy as we create a reality-based community in post-truth America. And joining us now, Robert Baer, one of the most accomplished agents in CIA history and the winner of the Career Intelligence Medal. He's the author of four New York Times bestsellers and is considered one of the world's foremost authorities on the Middle East and is an intelligence and national security affairs analyst for CNN. Welcome to Background Briefing, Robert Baer. Thanks, Ian. Well, thanks for joining us. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on with the arrest of Denchenko, Igor Denchenko, who worked at the Brookings Institution from 2005 to 2010. Apparently, he's an expert on Russian media. Uh, he was arrested on th- last Thursday and then was in court on Friday, and he was released. He wasn't arraigned. He was released. But the arrest came from Durham, the special investigator, the special counsel that William Barr set up in a way to justify Barr's claims that spying was done on the Trump administration. So Durham is essentially the the investigator of the investigators, uh, including Mueller's investigation itself. So it's hard to follow what's going on. Do you have any insight? Because, I mean, I guess the first thing to establish surely is that the Steele dossier, which Denchenko had a huge role in apparently drafting it and getting all of the sourcing 
for what it's worth. But the truth of the matter is that the Steele dossier didn't have much of an effect, if anything, on the real intelligence assessments on Russia's involvement in helping Trump, particularly the material that President Obama used to try and get both the House and Senate leaders McConnell and Paul Ryan, along with their Democratic counterparts, to make a public statement. They had much more solid and and real sources. So the Obama administration never relied on the Steele dossier, but it's gotten an awful lot of attention. So what's the significance of this round now with Danchenko and this U.S. public relations guy, Charles Dolan? Well, it, it's, Ian, it's, it's pretty much a sideshow. Let's don't forget the BuzzFeed article didn't come out until January 2017, on the 10th of January. So it had no effect on the election. And as far as the Russians, the investigation was started when the Russians hacked into the DNC's files. I mean, uh, you know, for me, the interesting part of it is the Steele dossier was just was very much manufactured in Washington. And the sourcing was, was frankly, got awful on this. If they went through Danchenko and this guy, Charles Dolan, set up Danchenko with sources and Dolan is very close to the Kremlin. It just to me, it all stinks of disinformation. But for us, what's important is going into 2022 or really 2024 is this sideshow will will appear at the center of the Republican platform that the uh, Russian investigation is a hoax. And people will forget that it started with the hacking and not with the Steele dossier. So it's just, it's, it's to take people's attention away w- what happened in 2016 during the election. And it certainly doesn't, the Steele dossier doesn't advance our understanding of Trump's relations with Russia in the least. And Anything new that will surface about Trump and Russia will immediately be dismissed as the far right is, oh, this is more part of the same hoax. So um, we, we are, you know, what, for me, but really what's interesting is this just sort of this um, opposition research and these firms in Washington who really don't care about sourcing and they don't care about how direct their information is and the rest of it. They'll just put anything they want on paper for money. Um, and this is fairly typical. I mean, I, I think this will hurt Steele's reputation, but then again, he's, you know, he, he, he wasn't collecting intelligence as we would, as an intelligence officer, we could say he knew that. And he saw, he probably saw the moment this was leaked to the press, the sort of trouble he was in. Right, well, he basically outsourced most of the work to Denchenko, who in, in turn was getting fed stuff from Dolan. And it's hard to understand what Dolan's motives were because he worked for the Kremlin up until about 2014. He worked for the Russian Federation as a PR spokesman through uh, the public relations firm Ketchum, and he was apparently highly trusted by Putin's inner circle. So... You don't get there into those that level of contact high up in Putin's circle without being on their side, don't you? I mean, I don't get that part. No, totally. Totally. I mean, you, you, you don't get where you are because you're objective observer of the world. It's the FSB, their internal intelligence service, which also their external intelligence service, vets you and you have to do their bidding. Uh, in more ways than one. That doesn't mean you're a controlled asset in, in any way. Um, but if you're getting money from the Russian government, it's approved by Russian intelligence. So, uh, you know, whether he was an unwitting or witting asset of Russian intelligence is sort of irrelevant at this point. But to take this information and, and recycle it and trying to recycle it through the FBI it is just bizarre. I mean, clearly, you know, after the, the article comes out in January 2017, the FBI had to look at the sources. And anybody with a brain would, would be able to see through this ruse. And, and not only that, you're in a, you've angered the FBI. So when Durham opens his investigation, the FBI is more than willing to dump all over Dolan and everybody else associated with this. 
And again, I'm speaking with Robert Baer, one of the most accomplished agents in CIA history and the winner of the Career Intelligence Medal. He's the author of four New York Times bestsellers and is considered one of the world's foremost authorities on the Middle East and is an intelligence and national security affairs analyst for CNN. Well, as far as I know, the, the dossier, as far as it got, was that Comey read Trump into it when he briefed Trump after he was, when all the intelligence heads briefed Trump as a president-elect. And Comey claims he told Trump about the Steele dossier only to let him know that it was out there and that he was embarrassed by talking to him about, you know, the so-called PP tape and all this other stuff. But I think the point, surely, and this was also made by the Senate Intelligence Committee report, is that U.S. intelligence did not rely on the Steele dossier one bit. They had better intelligence hooks into the Kremlin, including a double agent, Oleg Smolenkov, who was exfiltrated out, and he had access to Putin's desk. So that part of the story seems to get lost, right? That there is real intelligence. In fact, there's intelligence about a National Security Council meeting in the Kremlin where Putin directed everybody to work for Trump, in effect. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. And we know about hacking the emails and into the DNC that that the Russians clearly supported Trump, not because they thought he would get elected, because he was disruptive. And they'll do anything to support chaos and political chaos in this country. It doesn't matter whether it's anti-vaxxers or the rest of it. So absolutely, they had better intelligence. And, you know, anybody looking at the Steele report would see it was opposition research, which is which is absolutely useless in a And especially when the intelligence agencies like the FBI and the CIA don't have access to the original sources like Dolan. I don't think they did. But and then you you have to talk to the sources before the FBI can ever truly. And and Comey was right to brief the president. Say, hey, this is out here. We have to listen to it. It's an accusation of a crime. We have to run it down. And this is what we're going to do. And then on Carter Page, one of Trump's advisors, they had years, years back, they found out that the Russians were soliciting him, trying to recruit him. So when the Steele dossier comes along and, and brings up Carter Page, it, it's, no, it's no big surprise that they used it for uh, you know, continuing a warrant on, on Carter Page. This is all very predictable. E- even though the information was so thin, it just they can go to a judge and say, hey, we've got some more. We don't know whether the information is good or not, but we have some more. Let's let's continue the, the FISA warrant on Carter Page. So, I mean, this is the way the U.S. government works. Right. Well, the, and, the, but the point is, I was going to say the FBI guy that got that extra FISA warrant was cited in uh, by the inspector general. And then the other person that Durham Barr's guy that's doing the investigation of the investigators, he did also indict a lawyer in the law firm that handled the Fusion GPS account. They were the opposition research people behind the Steele dossier. It sounds like the lying that went on to the FBI was basically covering up the fact that the Steele report itself was was pretty thin. I mean, aren't they just trying to sort of justify it? And then in the end, Danchenko then tells the FBI that he sort of distanced himself from it all and says, well, you know, maybe it's, you know, it's more hearsay than, than intelligence. Well, yeah, I mean, Denshinko, he could only say it at that point, because once it, once it, he had to, he had to come around. I don't know. Look, the problem with the FBI is when they go into an interrogation or, or they, they go for what's called a 1001 charge, which is a perjury charge, which you can hang over somebody's head um, to get, to get it at the truth if you need it. So they, the first thing they sit down is you ask you some ambiguous questions, which you give ambiguous answers to, and you have a perjury charge. But the Durham report, I was impressed that Denshinko came out and said, listen, I don't know where this stuff came from. I didn't trust it. Dolan didn't trust it. It was, it was just chicken feet they were, they were passing around. And it got out of hand. And and no one at the time, I'm sure, involved in this report, whether it was Danchenko or Dolan, ever would imagine it would become a wedge issue in U.S. politics. Um, and so at this point, that any Republican that has a relationship with with Russia, like Rohrbach or anybody, 
can be immediately dismissed with their constituents as, oh, it's all a liberal hoax. It's the deep state. But you'll notice on the Durham report, there's nothing that suggests right now that was any sort of conspiracy inside the FBI or the CIA to to frame Trump. There's just there's nothing in there. It's, you know, you've, you've got some Washington shysters involved in this trying to sell something that's worthless. And that's all you have. And and this this young man, Denshinko, just fell for the whole thing and got paid for it, worked at Brookings. Um, and this is all fairly typical Washington, but it's going to have repercussions, I would imagine, in 2024. Right. But the one thing that is unusual about it is that, first of all, Danchenko was investigated by FBI counterintelligence when he was at Brookings. They thought that he might have been FSB. Dolan himself apparently thought that Danchenko was FSB. And the fact that Dolan himself was trusted by Putin's inner circle indicates that Dolan himself was on... (laughs) on the Russian payroll and on probably, you know, as you pointed well, this out. Is, of course, this is all, a, a, you know, I mean, every piece of evidence suggests this is an FSB operation against the United States. I mean, what better thing for the Russians when they didn't know he was going to get elected, but what Trump is, is, is have everybody obsessed with the PP tape for four years. And and in it in it and not only that, then you have the Mueller investigation into Russian hacking, and he's completely just dis- not completely discredited, but discredited in a partisan way. And the Russians clearly have benefited this, and they they want to undermine. They wanted to both Hillary Clinton and and Trump, and they did both. Um, they hacked her emails, showing she violated all these protocols of handing handling secrets and then they they put out all this salacious stuff about trump which couldn't be proved which undermined any real relationship between accusations between trump and russia and this is what the russians do like the protocols of zion you know they just they're wonderful at disinformation framing people and and causing chaos among their enemies and they they clearly won this. And we are so naive that we fell for it. I mean, look at all the books on Russia and, you know, the, based on some of the steel stuff that just came out and it's became an obsession with people who hated Trump and completely missed everything else that he's done wrong. And this red herring has drawn everybody's attention away and helped divide Americans pretty much 50-50 on Russia. And that partisan divide is you know, is gaping now. And now Durham, who was put in there by Barr, who was Trump's number one protector, his work will uh, insulate the Republicans in 2022 and 2024, and they'll be able to blame whatever the real information about Trump's ties to Russia, which I think are real. I think there's there's real compromise, but it's not the steel document. No, it completely missed. I mean, look, Trump was laundered money for the Russians. We all know that. That's a matter of fact. This is not a deep state accusation without any basis. But again, then again, everybody in New York in the 80s and 90s were laundering stolen Russian money. But how deep Trump is into that money and what obligations we have, we don't know. But you're absolutely right, because this, this is so complicated that Americans won't understand it. And the ones in the red states will simply say, look, there's the deep state. Durham proved it. So he's a he's a, another partisan hack, um, which is going to damage American, you know, p- political credibility for for, you know, for, for decades. I mean, I don't I don't see it any other way. I mean, people that I know, lawyers don't understand this. Look at this right wing lawyers that I happen to talk to occasionally don't understand the implications of this. Um, so how do you expect the average guy in, you know, in some small town? I do, right. you know, they they won't. Well, were the FSB using Dolan because he was close to the Clintons? Uh, did they have their hooks into the Clintons via him? Or, I mean, it was, after all, Fiona Hill who testified against Trump or gave damaging testimony that led to his impeachment. She was the, the person at Brookings who introduced Denchenko to Dolan. 
So, um, well, there's uh, there's no evidence that she was part of any conspiracy. No, no, I'm not suggesting uh, that because I know her. she's not. You know, I think she's very credible. Yeah, she's very credible, but she clearly does not understand intelligence. Why a Ukrainian exile working for Brookings and Brookings and in a and an American close to the Kremlin could ever produce anything close to intelligence is naivete on her part. It's, you know, first of all, it's what, you know, exiles cannot be trusted ever. And you, you have to have, you have to know who the sources are, how they know. If, you know, ultimately this goes back to the FSB, the PP tape, the tape, how, how would you know about the taping? And that stuff like this in Russia just is not, you know, to be picked up there off the ground. So, and everybody just in the fever of politics, like Fiona and the rest of them, you know, they're in a hurry and they just, they just accept this stuff, having no idea what the implications would be in the wrong run, in the, in the long run, what it'll do at American politics. Um, well, of course, collecting on Russia is virtually impossible unless you were re- that's all you do in your life. And even at that point, people inside the CIA still talk to don't actually know what happens because it's it's a police state and you don't go to Moscow and pick up this stuff, you know, from your taxi driver. Well, at the end of the day, of course, Putin's winning, right? Because he's dividing America. Trump is the greatest instrument of division we've ever had in our history, probably. You know, you'd have to go back to Robert E. Lee and company. And he's the gift that keeps on giving. And I'm sure Putin's perfectly happy to have this sort of wink and a nod idea that that he put Trump in the White House. I mean, in in the Soviet media, they referred to Trump as our president. So this is all a win-win for Putin. He's a, he's a genius. Well, the way, uh, yeah, he's a total genius. He knows what he's doing. I mean, he absolutely. He did this for a job. I mean, I, I mean, you know, it, it's sort of like the, the, going back to the, you know, the CIA was selling cocaine in America's inner cities. This is all Russian backed, or that the United States started AIDS. They they just been doing this forever. Um, you know, going back to the revolution, and this is what they do, and and we are incapable of of countering it, or have there's any sort of critical thinking going on. You know, you just talk to old Russian hands. It's a non, no, this game is surprised, and he's absolutely won. Um, I mean, he with very little effort, very little money, has long in the long term damaged American politics. And if Trump comes back in 2024, he's going to be angrier than ever. And you, you know, he will come after the so-called deep state. And it's, you know, he already did. I mean, we're firing FBI agents and the rest of it, you know. I mean, the irony of it, firing an FBI agent for having an affair with all the affairs he's had, you know, it's like, am I missing something here? Uh, yeah, no. So this is this is going to be we, every a lot of mistakes made by the press, a lot of mistakes made by Steele, Fiona Hill, Strobe Talbot, Brookings, and the rest of it. And Trump, you know, Putin wins in that sense. Right. Well, I thank you for joining us here today, Robert Bear. Thank you. And again, I've been speaking to Robert Baer, who's one of the most accomplished agents in CIA history and the winner of the Career Intelligence Medal. He's the author of four New York Times bestsellers and is considered one of the world's foremost authorities on the Middle East and is an intelligence and national security affairs analyst for CNN. We're going to take a brief station break. We're back examining the possibility that Republicans are killing Americans for political gain.
Welcome back. I'm Ian Masters, and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And joining us now is Dr. Steffi Woolhandler, who's a practicing primary care physician, distinguished professor of public health and health policy in the City University of New York School of Public Health at Hunter College, as well as a clinical professor at Albert Einstein College of Medicine and a lecturer in medicine at Harvard Medical School, where she co-directs the General Internal Medicine Fellowship Program and practiced primary care internal medicine at Cambridge Hospital, and she's also a co-founder and board member of Physicians for a National Health Program. Welcome to Background Briefing, Dr. Well, my Steffi. My pleasure. My pleasure to be here. Well, thanks for joining us. And there's a very interesting article in Monday's New York Times by David uh, Leonard. U.S. COVID deaths get even redder. The partisan gap in COVID's death toll has grown faster over the past month than at any previous point. And this is something that I think is fairly obvious, that as long as people, and particularly in the red states and red state politicians and others wanting to become president, etc., on the Republican side, keep encouraging people uh, not to get vaccinated and Fox News and Sinclair and Breitbart and Newsmax and OANN and other right-wing outlets and Joe Rogan, a popular podcast, also do the same, it would seem to me that, I mean, can you make a case that the Republican Party is invested in Americans dying in order to hurt the presidency of Joe Biden and to help get Trump reelected in 2024? Well, I think there is a reasonable case. I mean, when you try to figure out someone's motivations, uh, you have to assume that a rational, well-informed person would be motivated uh, based on what they think the consequences of their actions would be, right? And I think that a rational, well-educated person would know that the consequences of telling people not to get vaccinated uh, and to, you know, go to large indoor events without any masking or, or attention to, to social distancing, that those things will cause the pandemic to continue to simmer, uh, to go on for months and months and months and years. So when looking at their motivations, you have to say they're acting in ways that they know will have the consequence of the pandemic simmering. Uh, they may have other motivations as well, but clearly the, we can assume they're motivated in part to see the pandemic continue. And of course, that has been very harmful to the Democrats. Uh, many people thought they'd be able to just clear the pandemic right up. Now, maybe that was overly optimistic, but certainly the fact that the pandemic is still lingering uh, does seem to be harming the Democratic politicians. But hasn't it always been, uh, Steffi, a race between the virus mutating and vaccinations? It's always been a race between the virus mutating and vaccinations, but the way you get ahead of the race is to get everybody vaccinated. Um, and the more the virus is allowed to spread in the community among unvaccinated people, uh, the more times it replicates and the more chances that virus has to have a mutation that's going to cause a lot of trouble. So you want to have the virus spread as little as possible so it'll be replicating as little as possible and hence mutating as little as possible. And the best strategies we have for that is uh, vaccination, and sensible social distancing. You don't have to be locked in your house the way uh, we were back in the first couple of months of the pandemic, but people need to be sensible about who they share indoor spaces with um, until this pandemic is over, which may be a very long time, unfortunately. Well, the Delta variant proves the point that you just made, right? Well, the Delta variant spreads faster than the earlier variants. Thank goodness it did not appear to be more deadly than earlier variants. Um, but the next variant could spread even faster. It could be even deadlier. So the priority is to stop the virus from spreading. And the best way to do that is vaccinating everyone and maintaining sensible, um, moderate degrees of social distancing. So we're not in very large crowded rooms with no circulation with a bunch of people we don't know. Well, I mentioned the possible motive on the part of Republicans is to get Donald Trump reelected. And he, of course, is pretty clear about 
running uh, again in 2024. He's actually running now. He also effectively controls the Republican Party. There are other hopefuls as well to run for president on the GOP ticket. Uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, often cited. Christy Nome, governor of South Dakota, etc. I think all of these people, we know that Donald Trump got COVID. We know that he's been vaccinated, along with his wife and Baron, his son. We know that DeSantis and his family got vaccinated in, in secret, in private. The press weren't allowed. So this is what bothers me, is the brazen hypocrisy of these people who are encouraging people not to wear masks, not to social distance, not to get vaccinated. At the same time, they very quietly get vaccinated. Yes, well, that leads me to believe that they are indeed informed. And so when they they are informed that COVID is quite deadly, that vaccine can prevent it, uh, so that when they take steps that cause COVID to spread among other people, uh, it leads me to question if they're not motivated to continue seeing COVID spread. And uh, because it would, in fact, advantage the Republican Party, or at least they think it would. So uh, I do think we have to question the motivations of people who them protect themselves through vaccination and sometimes through moderate social distancing, um, and then go out and tell other people, preach to other people uh, that you don't need to be vaccinated, you don't need to socially distance, you don't need to ever wear a mask no matter how crowded the room is or who's in there. Uh, none of those things are true, and I think often the Republican politicians, because they're well-educated people and often well-informed people, know that they are not true. Well, the David Leonard article I mentioned in Monday's New York Times, U.S. COVID deaths get even redder. The partisan gap in COVID death toll has grown faster over the past month than any previous point. The article points out that vaccines are remarkably effective in preventing severe covid and almost 40% of Republican adults remain unvaccinated compared to about 10% of Democratic adults. So, And the article also points out that disinformation promoted by right-wing media like Rupert Murdoch's Fox News and Sinclair Broadcasting Group and other online sources that preys upon distrust, and that results from stagnant living standards, is also a major factor. So... It seems to me on a political level, it was pretty clear that Biden thought, I think, when he came in, that things, and he made a pledge to get everybody vaccinated and make the vaccines vaccines available. Now, of course, the irony is that the Trump administration developed the vaccines, but then never encouraged the distribution and sort of actively worked against vaccination. But... Biden really made it his top priority. But do you think it sort of slipped through his fingers a little bit? Or did the Delta variant come in and derail the project? Because obviously, politically speaking, if you can get rid of this this pandemic, I think it has a deep effect on American politics and American society. I think it's at the heart of the anxiety that mothers have over going to school, getting their kids vaccinated. It may have played a role in the recent Virginia elections. People don't like having to wear masks. They don't like having to go out into the supermarkets and wear masks, etc. And it's become a political as opposed to a public health issue as a result. So it would seem to me that you can make the political analysis that Biden would have really benefited enormously if he could have gotten his hands around this pandemic and ended it. And there would have been a massive economic upturn and America would be feeling good. But America's not feeling good, right? Well, in fairness to Biden, he hit a lot of partisan headwinds when he tried to get everyone vaccinated and is still hitting partisan headwinds in trying to require, for instance, uh, workers in large companies to be vaccinated. Um, that gets in the way of effective rollout of vaccination. And we might have been successful with a 70% vaccination if we were still dealing with the original version of COVID, but we're not anymore. We're dealing with Delta and there are likely to be other equally uh, contagious versions of Delta coming up. So we do need to get 
everyone vaccinated to get out of this pandemic. And under normal circumstances, you would expect uh, the majority of Americans to run out and get the vaccine, you know, during the polio epidemic or whatever. People just ran out to get it for themselves and their children. But because of the, the partisan problems we have in this country and the opposition from the Republicans, I, I do think Biden has been limited in, in his ability to roll out the vaccine. You know, I, I guess I would say the other mistake that he made, which is relatively minor, is he declared premature victory. So back in, in May and June, when things started to look pretty good, instead of saying they're looking good, but let's keep working at this at the same pace, they started declaring, you know, freedom for masks and, and this is over. Uh, we all hoped that was true, but um, from a policy point of view, from a public health point of view, it was not particularly useful to tell people it was over before it was. And I think we all know now it, it was not over in June. It's not over today. I mean, 1,200 people died yesterday in this country from COVID. Um, and it's great that we have vaccines and we can prevent a lot of deaths. But this is still uh, rolling through the U.S. population and will keep rolling through uh, for quite a while uh, unless we can really get everyone vaccinated and to take some sensible measures to prevent person-to-person uh, -person transmission in crowded spaces. So, um, you know, I think most of the blame for the uh, situation we're in right now uh, does fall on uh, the Republicans and vaccine resistance and mask resistance that they've encouraged. Um, a little bit of blame does fall on Biden. And of course, there's also the problem, the virus itself. You know, the virus has been a very wily opponent and it's still out there threatening us and mutating. And just again, on how this whole issue, instead of being a public health issue, has become a political issue. You mentioned um, getting big corporations to mandate vaccination. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans, which is a stack with right-wing judges, they just struck down Biden's mandate to get big corporations to mandate vaccination. So the battle continues. On the positive side, I guess there are these antiviral pills by Pfizer and Merck that are showing some promise. But on the negative side, you've still got a lot of these you know, right-wing people on Fox and Tucker Carlson and all these other people promoting, you know, this horsewarming drug and hydroxychloroquine. So you, you can't win, right? And we, the battle continues. It's crazy. Yes. Well, I, I mean, it isn't crazy that people of one partisan stripe would be promoting uh, a dangerous and completely ineffective medicine while telling people not to use the effective way, prevention techniques of getting vaccinated and being smart about indoor interactions in large groups. So um, there is a certain craziness to it, um, but uh, it has left us as a nation with a problem, which is there's a pandemic. Uh, it's better, but it's not gone. Uh, death rates are down, but we're still at 1,200 deaths a day. And um, we need to get out of this pandemic, and we cannot... Uh, get things done that would get us out of it, like vaccination and, and some reasonable social distancing measures. But we're at 750,000 deaths already, and it looks like by the time this is over, it certainly will have passed a million, and a million dead Americans should get somebody's attention. Yes, it's, it's actually quite catastrophic. I mean, people take it as very good news that uh, probably only about 1% of all people who catch COVID die. It depends on your age, obviously. But a 1% death rate is catastrophic from a medical point of view. Um, and, you know, as we know, it's just been a huge number of deaths already. And if we continue with that kind of death rate among unvaccinated Americans, we'll have thousands and thousands of deaths uh, for many, many months to come. Well, Dr. Steffi Woolhander, I thank you very much for joining us here today. My pleasure. And again, I've been speaking with Dr. Steffi Woolhander, who's a practicing primary care physician, distinguished professor of public health and health policy in the City University of New York School of Public Health at Hunter College, as well as a clinical professor at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and a lecturer in medicine at the Harvard Medical School, where she co-directs the General Internal Medicine Fellowship 
program and practice primary care internal medicine at Cambridge Hospital. And she's also the co-founder and board member of Physicians for a National Health Program. We're going to take a brief station break and back looking into how the COVID death toll between red and blue America is growing wider and faster as 40% of Republican adults remain unvaccinated compared to 10% of Democratic adults. I don't need no doctor Cause I know what's in me Welcome back. I'm Ian Masters, and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And joining us now is Charles Gabber, who is the founder of acasignups.net, which has been live-tracking Obamacare enrollment since the exchanges were launched in October October of 2013. His work has been cited by major publications from the Washington Post and Forbes to the New York Times, as well as the most reliable source available for up-to-date, accurate ACA enrollment data in the country. Welcome to Background Briefing, Charles Gabba. Uh, Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. And you're quoted in an article today in Monday's New York Times by David Leonard, U.S. COVID deaths get even redder. The partisan gap in COVID death toll has grown faster over the past month than at any previous point. And the takeaway from this article is that the gap in COVID death toll between red and blue America has grown faster over the past month than at any previous point. In October, 25 out of a Every 100,000 residents of heavily Trump counties died from COVID more than three times higher than the rate in heavily Biden counties, 7.8 per 100,000. And October was the fifth consecutive month that the percentage gap between the death rates in Trump counties and Biden counties widened. So how do you interpret this, uh, Charles, since you you are a numbers cruncher? You do the statistics. Yeah, um, basically, I... I mean, I've been tracking this for you know quite a while, but uh, most of my data and charts and graphs and such uh, recently have, have been have been using the end of June as the starting point, um, mainly because you know July was when the Delta variant they started to take hold in the U.S. and also that's around the point where uh, the vaccination rate had gotten to close to I think it was close to 50% around the end of June, early July. Um, you know, with, with around 50% or more of, of Americans having at least one shot. And so it seemed like a good, you know, starting point to, to start tracking the latest wave. Um, I mean, there are different lessons you can learn by going back all the way to the beginning, you know, in, in March of 2020. But uh, this seemed like a more, you know, um, a more relevant uh, starting point uh, to from. And uh, yeah, what I've found is uh, basically since the end of June, it's it's really been remarkable. Uh, and if you look at the you know the visuals, uh, the, the graphs and such, uh, it's so not just that it's higher in the the redder you get, the you know, the the higher the the uh, case and death rates get, but it's 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 a fairly even you know line uh, up from uh, the areas to the reddest areas and. You know, you can speculate as to what the different reasons for that are and what other factors are involved and so forth. But it's uh, it's still pretty remarkable how, how how consistent and strong that tendency seems to be. And the, the graph that you're referring to is in the David Leonard article in uh, Monday New York Times, which we're linking to at backgroundbriefing.org. But you're quoted as saying that the gap is also evident at finer gradations of political analysts, counties where Trump received at least 70% of the vote have an even higher average COVID death toll than counties where Trump won at least 60%. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Uh, and, you know, again, obviously your listeners can't see the you know, the graphs right now, but, but if they were to uh, click through, there's a link on the New York Times article which then goes back to my own blog and, and where you can see the uh, the various graphs and such. Um, yeah, basically, I've broken the entire U.S. population, all 330 million or so of us, into into tenths, you know, around 33 million apiece, and then uh, bar graphs that sort of break that out. And uh, what you'll find is in the reddest 
tenth of the country, which is basically counties where Trump received, uh, as you mentioned, 70 percent vote. Uh, it's actually 70.6 percent, but um, but that's around tenth a tenth of the entire population. Actually, the the death rate since the end of June is running nearly six times higher than in the bluest tenth of the country, where he received less than 26 percent of the vote. And uh, as you go through the you know the various the various Again, it's it's a fairly gradual, steady line up from blue to red. But there are some cases, obviously, in parts of blue states as well. Even here in California, you've got mm-hmm. conservative areas like Orange County and the northern part of the state and the Central Valley. But again, that seems to track with these statistics, doesn't it? Even within blue states, you've got these red patches where the death rate is higher. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I, I should note that my data is all based at the county level, not the state level. So I, I do drill down at a more you know, granular level. So it's at the county level. Now, having said that, um, obviously, you know, counties vary <laughs> dramatically in population size. So th- these are all per capita. These are all uh, uh, adjusted for population. But, uh, you know, obviously, L.A. County has over 10 million people. So, you know, that's larger than many entire states. In fact, several states combined in some cases. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely going to be, uh, you know, some some discrepancies there. Um, I'm not saying who the people are who are, you know, if, if, uh, if county is has a six times higher, you know, death rate than a blue county, that does not mean that those six times more people are all Republicans, for example. There could be, you know, blue patches, blue areas in red counties and red patches in blue counties. Uh, so, so that's not what this is about. This is simply about the geography of it uh, and the correlation there. So, um, it, it it would seem logical to me that there's definitely a connection between the two. But I'm not saying that that's, you know, the only factor at all. There's certainly other factors involved. And again, I'm speaking with Charles Gabber, who's the founder of ACASignup.net which has been live-tracking Obamacare enrollments since the exchanges were launched in October 2013. His work has been cited by major publications from the Washington Post and Forbes to the New York Times and as being the most reliable source available for up-to-date, accurate ACA enrollment data in the country. And we're talking about the article in Monday's New York Times by David Leonard, COVID deaths get even redder, showing that the death toll in red states is considerably higher from COVID than in blue states. And the correlation has to be, surely, Charles, that people simply aren't getting vaccinated in these states where there's a higher death toll. That's the correlation, right? Uh, yeah, that I, I also, in addition to the partisan factor, I do also have at that same link uh, a couple of charts which uh, which break things out in a nonpartisan way based purely on vaccination rates. And again, this is all at the county level. And there you see, you see a similar, very strong uh, re- inverse correlation where the the death rate, again, since the end of June is over four times higher in the least vaccinated uh, section of the country than in the most vaccinated. And once again, that's a very you know steady, uh, consistent curve downward where, where as the vaccinated percentage of the population increases, the, uh, the death rate uh, has has dropped correspondingly. But there's no doubt that these vaccines have been incredibly effective, haven't they? And as the article in the New York Times points out, almost 40% of Republican adults remain unvaccinated compared to about 10% of Democratic adults. Yeah, there's there's definitely, I mean, there's definitely very strong evidence that uh, that getting vaccinated is extremely effective. Of course, there's also, you know, additional mitigating uh, things that people do, you know, wearing masks, socially distancing and so forth that we've been doing all along. Guess would be that those who are get vaccinated are also far more likely to, you know, uh, wear a mask when in public uh, to, you know, to distance themselves and, you know, take other other mitigating factors as well. So, you know, I don't know how much of that is the vaccines versus these other factors, but because they probably tend to sort of go together. Because, you know, people who are refused to get vaccinated, my guess would be are also far less likely to be willing to wear a mask as, as well. So, you know, I don't know what portion of that is the vaccines versus the other factors, but my guess is that the vaccines are, are certainly the lion's share of that. So 
we know that vaccines and masks and social distancing have become political. They, they should have remained a public health issue, but unfortunately they've been, become politicised. And even the effort by the Biden administration now to get large corporations and government entities to mandate vaccines, that's now being challenged in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals down in New Orleans, which is, you know, weighted heavily with conservative judges. So, mm-hmm. and we also know that a lot of these Republican politicians, some of whom are running for president, like the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, have been encouraging people not to mask up and social distance and get vaccinated, etc. But he got vaccinated quietly in private with his wife and family, as did uh, Donald Trump. So... Do you think that, I know you're, you're a statistician, not a political analyst, Charles, but do you think that this, since this is impacting the country and, it's, and the death toll just simmers away and 1,200 people die every day of COVID and we're 750,000 have died so far in this country and it's not ending, what should Biden do to get his hands around this? Because there's no doubt about it that it's hurting his presidency and I'm sure... He started out wanting to get rid of it, and then the Delta variant came along, and now it's just a sort of hanging around, and as I say, 1,200 people die every day uh, on Biden's watch. What can he do, given this resistance, whether or not it's deliberate on the part of the Republicans to you know, keep this thing simmering, this virus, or whether or not it's just stupidity? I don't know what the answer <laughs> is, but what, what do you think Biden can do? Well, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the good news is that, um, you know, most most Americans have gotten vaccinated, uh, you know, at least partially in, in most cases fully. So there's you know, there, there's that. Um, of course, the uh, the big news last week was the FDA and, and CDC giving final approval uh, to um, the to one of the vaccines, the Pfizer vaccine for five to 11 year olds. So that opens up. Uh, I think there's something like uh, 28 million children in that age range in the U.S. And, you know, so that means there should be a surge of millions of children getting uh, vaccinated and, you know, in the near future, they've already started. And uh, the first batch of those should, uh, those kids should be fully vaccinated, getting their second dose by around Thanksgiving and, and after that. Um, so that'll certainly help. Um, the mandates, you know, yes, I know that that the federal mandate was, uh, was finally issued and like w- within two seconds challenged and there was a, a, a stay put on it. Uh, by the Fifth Circuit Court, um, yeah, that, that's certainly a setback. But I think you know there there a lot of private companies you know have been in, instituting and imposing uh, their own mandates. Uh, and of course, as you mentioned, you know there are states uh, like Texas and Florida and, and a few others where they're uh, you know where the state government is actively opposing letting private. You know, institute their own uh, vaccination mandate, which uh, is, of course, pretty ironic given that uh, you were supposedly all about state and free enterprise and all that. But um, I mean, I, I think we're getting there. It's just a question of, you know, it, it's 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 a trudge. It's certainly taking longer than it should have, and that is definitely uh, a big part of that is definitely deliberate on the part of you know Republican leadership, uh, many of whom are, who have. You know they've gotten vaccinated themselves. I know that Fox News, for example, has has their own vaccine mandate, while at the same time, you know, issuing uh, kind of Wilson basically discouraging viewers from getting vaccinated. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure what more. I'm sure there are other things that uh, the Biden administration could be doing, but I think massive comes no comes to mind beyond just keep trudging along. Um, as the best they can. I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, um, a, a political strategist, as you noted, but the, the main things that have been the main shoes to drop, you know, in the vaccination game, again, we're, you know, getting approval, uh, final approval, you know, by the FDA and CDC, which wants to go for adults, and then the emergency approval for five to 11 year olds, which just happened. I know that there's you know some new developments for these um, uh, this new pill I guess which is supposed to be very you know treatments that are supposed to be very good at uh, are very promising for treatment. Hopefully you know that will continue to develop. But but politically I don't I don't know what what more they can do 
you know, they cannot literally force people to get the vaccine. They can, you can issue mandates and, and you know, again, maybe the challenge will be, uh, maybe eventually go through or maybe it won't, but even that's not, you know, you're not literally requiring them to get mandated, to get vaccinated, to get vaccinated or lose their job. Well, you know, they're, they're proving to be pretty effective, but there's always going to be some people who just won't, no matter what you do. And I, I don't know what the solution is for that. Well, just in closing, though, do you think that Biden could really lay it on the line and get tough and basically say, look, you know, Donald Trump, uh, Governor DeSantis, Governor Abbott in Texas, you and your family's all been vaccinated in private, yet you're encouraging people not to get vaccinated. Are you doing this, you know, are you killing Americans in order to get reelected? I mean, make it blunt. I mean, is that a way to go, do you think? I mean, he, he certainly he, he certainly could. I know how effective it would be but you know that would i mean he's come i i think uh the the, the big speech that he gave a couple months ago you know when he announced the is instructing osha to you know to to put together the rules for the federal mandate and you know he gave a big speech and there were a bunch of other uh steps that he was taking that was you know basically cracking down laying down the law you know getting getting tough and all that uh to the extent that he could um, whether he could go even further than that, I, I don't know. I don't know, you know, legally and also in terms of, um, you know, politically, I don't know how much further he can take it. Um, I think he should take it as far as he can, you know, you know, you know, legally and all, all that. But um, uh, but again, it, it's clear that there are certain <laughs> there are certain politicians who are very uh, and they uh, they see this as a way, as you as you noted, to get reelected, get elected if they aren't already. And some of them are willing to sacrifice as many people as it takes in order to, uh, you know, to retain or gain power. Um, I, I wrote a big analysis about exactly that which, uh, a couple of weeks ago, looked at which took that very cynical question. It basically I did this. I, I ran these this, the same numbers going back to exactly one year ago to to the day after the 2020 election, you know, to November 4th of last year. And what I found is that since then, uh, from then through the end, through around mid-October, uh, the death rate in those uh, reddest of red areas of the U.S. was running about two and a half times higher than in the bluest section. So, you know, it's gotten then, it's got the, or the discrepancy has grown since then. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, people have been asking and they, you know, it's one of those questions they don't like to say out loud, but but they've been thinking, you know, is this going to kill so many Republicans that, you know, pay elections? And no, it's not because, you know, the dip, there are still Democrats dying as well. And of course, a lot of independents and so forth. And it's not going to kill that many more Republican voters than Democratic voters, you know, by the time the midterms come around uh, that, you know, I, I estimated that it might be maybe around 100, a difference of maybe 100,000 or so. That's not, and, and most of those are going to be in either very red areas or, or very blue areas where it's not going to, you know, swing anything. it may swing a few very close districts, but beyond that, I don't see it being, making that much of a difference, which means that they may be willing to, to see several hundred thousand of their own voters die as long as it sways several million independent voters, you know, or, or swing voters uh, who decide to blame those deaths on the Biden administration or on Democrats. So sure. it's cynical and horrible, but but that seems to be what's happening. Well, Charles Gabber, I thank you very much for joining us here today. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And again, I've been speaking with Charles Gabber, who's the founder of ACASignups.net, which has been live tracking Obamacare enrollment since the exchanges were launched in October of 2013. His work has been cited by major publications from the Washington Post and Forbes to the New York Times as being the most reliable source available for up-to-date, accurate ACA enrollment data in the country. This has been Background Briefing. I'm Ian Masters. I'd like to thank producer Graham Fitzgibbon. If you missed any of today's program or would like to explore our vast archives, you can find us at backgroundbriefing.org where we include extended interviews searchable by topic and have made it easy for you to sign up for daily email updates that provide links to resources, articles and books discussed on the program. Also, you can find links there to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we also encourage you to rate and review us on those platforms. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Ian 
Martin Media. And please do help us reach more listeners by sharing this program with friends, family and colleagues. To help us sustain this program into the future and ensure it remains free to all, please take a moment to support us by going to backgroundbriefing.org slash donate, where you will find our non-profit Public Truth Media Foundation, where your tax-deductible donations, large and small, keep us broadcasting. And I'll be back again tomorrow with another Background Briefing at backgroundbriefing.org. Bye for now. Disappear.